Welcome to Whipple's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Whipple. Welcome. My name is Gary Wolfel, and thanks for joining Rob Reichel and I for another Packers podcast. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Gary. How are you? I am doing very well. I'm actually in Austin, Texas, and thanks to the beauty of Zoom, we can do our podcast, and you are in uh, balmy Menominee Falls, I would imagine. I am. I Another day in the mid-40s, Gary. You you enjoy your time in Austin as long as possible because I'm guessing your temperature will be double what it is in yeah. this area for the next few days. Yeah, no, it's wonderful weather and uh, it's nice to get out of Wisconsin for a few days. So anyways, I don't think you or I ever imagined that we would be talking today about a Packers debacle. Uh, I know you said that the Packers were going to lose, so you were right on. I thought the Packers would win a close game. But I'll tell you what, that was a debacle in the truest sense, wasn't it? Yeah, Gary, and I think what has to be concerning for people out there is their last handful of losses have been debacles like this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the the Chargers last year, they lose 26-11. They get nothing generated on offense. Bosa and Ingram, a couple of really elite defensive players for the Chargers, cause havoc all day. They lose 37-8 to the 49ers last year in the regular season. And again, get nothing going on offense. They follow that up. The next loss in the, in the Matt LaFleur era here is, you know, the, the NFC Championship game then to the 49ers, 37-20. But that game was never that close. It was 27 nothing at halftime. Mm-hmm. They again got nothing going offensively. And, and then they get routed the other day and on Sunday in Tampa. I mean, what really needs to be, I think, a concern, and they need to look at hard internally is when they get punched in the mouth once or twice, they don't seem to have a whole lot of fight coming back. When you get this team down double digits, I mean, I, I think the average guy in, in Madison and Milwaukee can almost turn his TV off because the, the way this has gone the last, the last year and change, Gary, it's, it's over. Uh, when, once these guys are down 21-10, 28-10, like the other day, there, there's not a lot of fight in this football team. And you flip around and you watch the rest of the league, you know, Gary, and you see Carson Wentz fight until the last second to bring the Eagles back in that game the other day against Baltimore. You, you see various teams do it. Russell Wilson's never out of a football game, right? Patrick Mahomes, I don't think, has ever lost a game by more than seven points. There's just a lot inside those stats, Gary, that, that I just kind of read you that I think yeah. need to be explored and examined organizationally because that that's not a common trend. You don't see a lot of you know, 17, 20, 28 point blowouts in this league. Most games are one score games. And right now when you get the Packers down, Gary, it's over. They stay down. You know, Rob, this is absolutely incredible. When I was watching the Packer game, I had a notepad next to me, just jotting down different things. And I put in all capital letters, no competitive spirit. You are absolutely right. And I'm not sure what the problem is. If, if it emanates from the head coach, the quarterback, whomever. But those guys, you know, went through the motions after they get down by a couple touchdowns. And uh, I was just shocked. I mean, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you got to be much more competitive than that. Well, you hit the two, I think, kind of key central figures there, the quarterback and the head coach. And, and that, that's where everything kind of starts and stems from. And, and Matt LaFleur mm-hmm. – 
took the overwhelming majority of the blame after that football game, uh, as, as coaches kind of seem to do these days. But, you know, I, I'll put a lot right back on, on the quarterback because he talked at length in his post-game press conference, Gary, about, you know, just not a lot of energy coming in and out of the huddle, not a lot of excitement, just um, overall the energy level being down. And I, I'm thinking to myself, you're almost 37. You're the leader of this football team. You're a man playing in some instances with boys. Mm -hmm. You're the one who needs to rally the troops in situations like that, not sit back there and be passive aggressive and, and, and take some of this stuff and bring it up later in a press conference. To me, I, I hear that kind of stuff and I chuckle because you know what Brett Favre would have done, right? He would have kicked somebody in the tail and got that offense moving. And, and Gary, that was a football game where when it was all said and done, if Brett Favre had thrown six interceptions, he wouldn't have given a damn because he would have gone down fighting and he, and he would have gone down at least on his own terms where he was winging that ball around the yard. And, and these guys seem to roll into the fit, into the fetal position and, and just kind of take their lumps and, and take their whooping and, and go home and, and then they, they try to tell the world it's an anomaly. Well, well, it's not an anomaly. We've just gone through their last four losses, losses and they've, They've all kind of been that way. They don't have a great history, Gary, of, of coming from behind and winning games. <laughs> I was going to say, under center. I, I um, was going to say they're not the comeback kids by any stretch. No, far from. I mean, they started the stat of fourth quarter comebacks in in 1960, and Aaron Rodgers has played far more years of football than most quarterbacks you know who would who would ever be on that list and mm -hmm. um you know so he's got a lot more games under his belt than a normal quarterback and and he, right now he he ranks 54th in NFL oh history in fourth quarter comebacks i mean that's that's yeah. shockingly bad right now gary i mean th there are guys ahead of him and 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 i'll read you some of these names and you can tell me what you think of this player but but here are some <laughs> people who have more fourth quarter comebacks than rodgers does and rodgers is in his 13th year as a starter yeah. All right, let's go here. John Kitna. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay. Not yeah, a great football you, player, you, right? You, you might have stated your case already. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to give you a couple more just for fun. I think, have, the jury, yep, yep. I think the jury has reached a verdict. <laughs> we, 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 we do have a little time on these yeah. normally. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Jake DeLome. Yes. Kerry Collins. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Derek Carr who came into the league six years ago. Six years he's been the quarterback. Aaron's been the quarterback 13. Um, you know, th these are just some of the players. Peyton Manning, for example, leads the way in fourth quarter comebacks with 43. Tom Brady has 37. Drew Brees has 36. And then you go back to Rodgers at 16. It, it, it's a telling statistic in terms of, I don't know if you want to go as far as saying intestinal fortitude or your ability to rally a team late in, in games and, and pull off some of these wins, Rodgers just hasn't got that done, and, and a lot of people in front of him and a lot of people through the years have. And I don't know at 37 years old, Gary, which is what he turns here in a month and a half, I, I don't know that all of a sudden he can change stripes. And when you're down 21-10 in a football game, expect Aaron Rodgers to come back and win that game. Those are amazing stats. You know, the other thing about Rodgers, and I've noticed this over the years, when they do get in a hole, his body language completely changes. You ever notice that? He, he's oh, just, he, I mean, his, facial, his facial expressions, he's looking at people, he's let, you know, doubting himself. And uh, for a guy that is so talented, so gifted, I, I'm shocked he has that demeanor. 
He had the early eye roll again the other day when yes. St. Brown ran the questionable route. Yep. And then the cameras flipped right to Rogers and he's rolling his eyes. And I know St. Brown is just off IR and he's a young guy and stuff like that. So Rogers, you know, is immediately looking to blame somebody else. It, it all comes back to me, Gary, to that. Who are we going to blame? Do we, do we look in the mirror as the $33.5 million quarterback and, and take the blame ourselves or on the football field, does our body language suggest that we're blaming everybody other than, other than ourselves? And in a post-game press conference, who am I going to point the blame at? It's extremely rare when Rodgers will get in front of a podium or in this, in this situation in 2020, a Zoom call, and take any of the blame. It's always going to be somebody else. I mean, the, the other day he questioned practices again, which stems back to the head coach. Mm -hmm. um, if you listen to him after the 2014 NFC Championship game, he pretty much put all that on Mike McCarthy. I've had players through the years, Gary, tell me off the record, you know, it, it drives them nuts that he doesn't take more of the responsibility and, and the blame. And, and he wants to point at the offensive lineman or he wants to point at the wide receiver. He's a Hall of Famer. He's an all-time great, Gary, but there are times he deserves a lot of the blame too. And Sunday was certainly one of those days. Yeah, and I totally agree with every point you made. But I also point the finger a little bit at Lafleur. I think they were down by 28 points. Was it at the start of the fourth quarter or maybe early in the fourth quarter? Not, not that it matters. They're down by 28 points. And, and granted, the odds of coming back are, are slim to none, right? But you know what, Rob? Tampa Bay scored 28 points in the second quarter. Right. It can happen. And that goes back to our point about competitive spirit. you got to play these games out and uh, not just call it a day after three quarters. No question about it. They came into the game averaging 38 a game, right? They, they've had 15, 18, 20-minute windows through the season here where they've erupted for 21, 28 points in, in small windows. I think of the quick change in that Lions game, for example, where they scored a couple times right before half, got the ball back to start the third quarter and scored again right away and put that game out of reach. So, I mean, they have been an incredibly explosive offense. And, and, and that's where I come back to just that fight to the end, yes. Gary, which is to me the number one difference between Rodgers and the guy he replaced in Favre. I mean, everybody wants to throw daggers at Favre for that six interception game, for example. And I, I think it was the 0-1 playoffs against the Rams. Maybe was I, I was there, St. Louis, yes. I yeah. And, yes. And, and Favre's mindset that day is, who cares if these guys beat us you know, 63 to nothing, or I, you know, I can get us back within a field goal or a touchdown by winging it all over the yard to Schrader and Freeman and, and, and those yeah, guys and yeah. hoping they can make a play and go score. Favre didn't care that he finished that day with six picks. He was, he was going to go down fighting. He was going to use every bullet in that gun he had, Gary. And, and, and the quarterback right now has no problem going back to the locker room if that gun is still completely loaded. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, going back to that fourth quarter again, and this kind of piggybacks what you said. It was first down, and they ran the ball off left tackle, okay? I'm going, you're kidding me. You're down by 28 points, and you're running, you know, this minor league play. Then the second play was like this little dump-off pass. I'm thinking, like, you know, you are down by 28 points. You don't have, like, six minutes to, you know, play with the clock. you got to score. And like you said, if that would have been Favre, they would have been throwing downhill come hell or high water, you know? No question. And again, a, a loss is a loss. It was already a blowout. So why not take a few chances right, down right. the field? I, you know, people have asked me why, because that has 
that's always been Roger's track record in, in these situations. He, he doesn't take deep shots. If you notice, Gary, on Hail Mary plays a lot of times before a half will end, he doesn't always chuck it into the end zone. He does, obviously, at the end of the game, like the Richard Rodgers play mm-hmm. in Detroit. But why does he not throw it into the end zone sometimes right before a half ends? Because he's terrified of an interception. Nobody, Gary, that, that I can remember that has come through this league and, and part of this is because Rogers is so smart and he has a rain man mind and he remembers numbers like this, but nobody knows their statistics through the course of a year, a season, a career, even a game quite like Aaron Rodgers does. Mm-hmm. And, and he knows he's number one all time in fewest interception percentage. He knows he's number one in quarterback passer rating. And the guy can look up at a jumbotron and see where his numbers are in, in, during the course of a day and, and understand hey, I want to keep them low. I want to keep the interceptions low. You know, I want my pass completion rate to be high, et cetera, et cetera. And Gary, I can guarantee you that factors in sometimes to the the decisions he makes late in football games when he's not throwing the ball 20, 30, 40 yards down the field when they're getting hammered by the 49ers or the Chargers or somebody like that, Tampa Bay the other day, and he's taking this short check down kind of stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, one guy that I think should have been taking notes on the sidelines and putting this in his memory bank is Jordan Love. I mean, at some point he's going to be in situations like this. And uh, you certainly hope, at least from, from a Packers standpoint, uh, that he learns from these lessons and uh, goes forward with it. Uh, let, let, let's talk a little bit about Jordan Love. You, you know, I thought you had an excellent piece uh, the other day talking about Rogers, uh, you know, troubles in big games. And that was the reason they went for Jordan Love. Yeah, your, your thoughts on that situation. That was the whole point of the article. And, and not everybody, I think, either reads the article or um, fully gets through it or, or whatever. Maybe they just peek at a headline. But the whole point of the story was Aaron Rodgers has struggled immensely in a number of these marquee games, these, these huge level games over the past decade, these showdown games against high level defenses. And the reason Brian Gutekunst took a quarterback in round one was because they came to the decision, Gary, in organizationally and internally that they were ready to move on, that Aaron Rodgers probably could not win another Super Bowl, that they were going to roll the dice with with a young guy that they loved and probably made 10 or 15% of the money Rodgers did. And they would take that money, the 30 extra million dollars and spend it on defense and spend it on offensive line and spend it on wide receiver and in places like that. But Gary, if if you track Rodgers, kind of career path here since the Super Bowl in these big games. And, and I know Packer nation does not want to hear this. The the (laughs) Rogers apologists come out in, in full force with their pom poms and their green and gold glasses. There's probably some media people that don't want to hear this. (laughs) Not probably Gary. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but I had to get, Oh, you're, you're you're a thousand percent accurate. And those, and, and I, and I think the smart fans out there know who those media people are. But if you track Rodgers over the past, you know, decades since Super Bowl 45, you know, you, you could certainly make the case the five biggest games he has played in, Gary. He's been in four NFC Championship games, mm-hmm. you know, outside the Super Bowl. The five biggest games he's had in the rest of his career, the four NFC title games and the 2011 divisional playoff game where Green Bay was 15-1, and one, played the New York Giants. Everybody thought the Packers were about to repeat as Super Bowl champs. Those five games 
Rodgers has, has produced stinkers, Gary. He's been completely outplayed by the guy on the other side of the line, except the Bears guy in the 2010 NFC Championship game. Because, but that's because Chicago ended up with a third-string quarterback that day. But I'll go through here, Gary, just, just real quick what, what Rodgers' numbers are mm-hmm. you know, in, in those games. So in the NFC Championship game in 2010, when they beat the Bears 21-14, Rodgers had a passer rating that day, Gary, of 55.4. Mm-hmm. Two picks, no touchdowns. I mean, if it's not for the defense that day, if it's not for B.J. Raji's interception and return for a touchdown, if, if it's not for them knocking Jay Cutler out of the game and the Bears dropping down to a third-string quarterback, we're probably not even talking about a Super Bowl title in 2010. If Chicago had any semblance of offense that day. 2014 NFC title game. Everybody wants to blame McCarthy and Brandon Bostick and various people, and, and that's fine. There's a lot of blame to go around. Don't forget, though, Rodgers' passer rating that day, Gary, was 55.8. And to put that in perspective for the listeners out there, that's about half what his career average is. I mean, his, mm-hmm. his career passer rating is, you know, 103, 104 right, range. Right. So, I mean, uh, 55.8 for Aaron Rodgers is absolutely dreadful uh, playing in a game that big, in an NFC title game. And, again, they collapsed late in the game in, in that 2014 NFC title game for a lot of reasons. But if Rodgers had been better early on, if Mike McCarthy had been better too, Gary, that game doesn't get down to the last three minutes for them to blow. Now mm-hmm. let's go to the last two NFC title games. 2016, they play the Falcons. Halftime, Gary, they're down 24 nothing, and they fall behind 31 nothing early in the third. I mean, zero points from an Aaron Rodgers-led offense you know, midway through the third quarter before they finally get anything going. The final stats look okay, and that's what the Rodgers apologists will point to. It ended up 44-21, and, and he got some late nonsense garbage touchdowns, Gary. But uh, they're down in that game 31-0. And then everybody obviously remembers last year's game against, against the 49ers in the NFC title game. They're down 27 nothing at halftime. Rodgers had three first-half turnovers. Here's a guy who doesn't turn the ball over for the most part. Fumbled mm-hmm. it twice, lost one of them through a pick his passer rating at halftime that day Gary was 52.1 um so yeah so we go through these big games and and you can go to the regular season too uh, is Sunday's game last year with the 49ers um he saw a really good Denver defense in 2015 on a Broncos team that that went ahead and won the Super Bowl if you start breaking these games down Gary Rodgers Again, the guy's making $2 million every game that he steps on the field for. He's making $34 million this year. They need him to play like the best player on the planet or certainly the best player in that football game. And a lot of these games, Gary, he's been in the bottom players inside that game. And they they need so much more. And my point in this story was the Packers had hit a point where they just weren't going to spend $35 million anymore on a quarterback who they didn't think could get him over the hump. Therefore, they take Jordan Love, and by 2022, Gary, my guess is Love will be the quarterback, Rodgers will be in a different uniform, and Sunday just provided another piece of evidence and another example of why Gutekunst went ahead and took Love. Yeah, now now the uh, $64,000 question is, was Jordan Love the right guy to take? I, I agree with the concept. But the jury's out in Jordan Love, obviously, and we'll see what happens. You know, one thing I want to bring up, I don't want to spend a lot of time here talking about Jordan Love because we're going to be doing that many times uh, over the rest of the season, I'm sure. Rob, help me out on this one. Okay, the Packers originally had the 30th pick in the draft, okay? And they made a deal with the Miami Dolphins and moved up four spots, okay? Yep. 
Okay, so they're taking Jordan Love, okay, at the 20th pick, or 26th pick. Now, here are the three teams that were picking directly after the Packers took Love, okay? Seattle, 27. They have Russell Wilson, okay? You, you heard of him, right? <laughs> and you are the president of the uh, Russell Wilson fan club, by the way. <laughs> Ru- Ru- Russell and Matt Stafford, right, Gary? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Those are your two Pro Bowl quarterbacks. So, Seattle has Russell. At 28 was Baltimore. They have Lamar Jackson, okay? Number 29, who had the number 29th pick, was Tennessee. And they have Tana- Tannehill, right? Correct. The Packers, in my mind, could have stayed at 30 and not bothered to move up and still got Jordan Love. Miami wasn't going to take him. They went to trade the pick. So, Gary, the, the big rumor that weekend, obviously, was that Indianapolis, who I think was at 34, was going to jump in there somewhere between, you know, into those late 20s before Green Bay got there at 30 and, and take Jordan Love. Okay, um, okay, that helps. Whether uh, or not that was going to play this. itself out, we'll never know. But clearly, Gutekunst ha- had an inkling and a feeling that he had to go up if he was going to get his guy. He had identified Jordan Love as his guy. He knew there was a little bit of heat there. Um, that, that there was some interest from other people to jump up there and, and mm-hmm. get that quarterback late in the first round. You have to remember too, Gary, when a big part of this too, is all these first round picks, you know, are tied to organizations now for five years where everybody else, you know, second round on and down, you, you only have them for four years. So right. it gives you that extra year to develop that quarterback. And that's a real appealing thing in terms of some teams jumping up late into round one. If I remember right, I think Lamar Jackson, for example, was the last pick in the first round. What well, gave Baltimore that extra year to study him. Now they did, they clearly didn't need it because they knew after year two that Jackson was going to be a stud, but mm-hmm. for a lot of these teams, it gives you that extra year to evaluate that player. So that was a big part of, I'm, I'm sure why Gutekunst moved up and what, you know, the, the, the logic and the thinking that they needed to get to 26 to go ahead and get love because somebody else liked the Colts in the early thirties, we're going to go ahead and do that instead of green Bay. Yeah. I, I guess that helps clarify even when, the, when, when this uh, draft went down, I'm thinking like, why did he move up when in reality he had a very good chance to get love at 30. Just going back to the in, Indianapolis situation. If you got Phillip rivers though, in your back pocket, essentially, why would you make that move again? Because you know? Philip Rivers is, is he 40? Is he 38? I mean, he's, yeah, he's he up clear, there. You know, he, he's, a, he's a one or two year guy and they're going to get what they can. And it would give them time to develop love. If, if you're the Colts here mm-hmm. and then you play him by 2022, much like I think the Packers are going to do, you know, with, with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan love and he, and eventually making that transition. It, it doesn't make sense for green Bay, Gary, financially, to go ahead and do anything like that until the 2022 season. Um, I think next year Rodgers makes 36 million. And if you cut him, it's 31 uh, on dead cap money. So you're only saving 5 million. They're never going to do that. Now the next year in 2022, if Rodgers is on the roster, Gary, I, I think his, his cap hit is about 40 million. And if they cut him at 17, cut or trade. So you pick up $23 million. And then in 2023, your savings is another 25 or 26. So right. it, it seems clear by the numbers that by 2022, Jordan Love will be Green Bay's quarterback. Green Bay will take that extra $23 million and spend it at, on other spots on the roster and try to surround Love with more people and more talent than they've given Rodgers right now. 
I, I go back, Gary, to, to this whole thing. They, they had come to a decision internally, organizationally, that they weren't going to get over the hump against great teams and great defenses uh, with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. There's just too much history and evidence of him falling short in these kind of games. And they said, let's try it a different way. Instead of giving a quarterback 20% of our salary cap money, which is give or take what Rodgers has been now for several years. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, Jordan loves making about $4 million a year, Gary, for, for the next few years. Correct. Let, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they thought to themselves, let, let's go cheap at quarterback. Hope he's a top 15, 16, 18 guy in the league. Let's give him great running backs, really good wide receivers, and let's try to play defense like Baltimore or San Francisco or Tampa Bay does. Now the challenge is doing that, obviously, right? Um, and Green Bay hasn't been able to do that, certainly on the defensive side of the ball for years. But clearly that's the path Gutekunst is on. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, I've probably talked to half a dozen NFL people before the draft, and everyone agreed with them. Jordan Love is a boom or bust player. And, man, I'll tell you what, Gutekunst, in my mind at least, is putting his reputation on the line with this pick because if it works out, he's going to look like a genius, obviously. If it doesn't, it could possibly cost him his job. But, Gary, think about it. All these guys do that every time they do. I mean, Ron Wolf, when he traded a first for Favre back in February of 1992, a, a guy who was drafted in the second round was the third stringer in Atlanta. Yes. Um, Wolf and I have talked about this several times through the years. That was pre-Twitter and things like that where people right, actually still right. – still sent letters. He said, you know, bags of letters and mail would come into his office every day, just, just telling him um, how inept he was and, and um, <laughs> just shouldn't have the general manager job in, in Green Bay. And, and he ended up getting arguably the best player in franchise history. When Ted Thompson in 05 went ahead and took Rodgers, people went ballistic, right? Um, exactly. Favre was on the roster. Favre, you know, I know Favre was waffling, but I think people really felt Favre had another four or five years left and he and he did he went through the 2010 season um and and ted got himself a hall of famer and really the key to green bay staying as good as it has here right the last 13 plus years oh, no you're question. you're exactly right gutekunst is staking his reputation and and really probably his career to jordan love i mean it worked out great for wolf it worked out great for thompson gutekunst has talked about that many times that and a lot of gms in the league do gary that they want their own guy and and they and mm-hmm. they want to be linked in history to a certain quarterback well gutekunst appears is his link and 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 the guy we'll talk about and connect him to forever will be jordan love um the only question is when and and my guess is it's 2022 and in your spot on gary i scouts told me the exact same thing boomer bust and uh you know we'll, we'll find out here in a couple of years Exactly. Well, uh, I'll tell you, moving along here, let, let's go over to the uh, defensive side of the uh, Packers on the Packers front. And they, they've had some, I thought, some really nice play at times this year, some abysmal play at times. Uh, if I was going to give them a grade at this juncture of the season, it'd probably be like a C plus. But I'll tell you what really, really stands out when I, I was doing some research on who their leading tacklers were. You know who their leading tackler is? I'm sure you do. I actually haven't even looked at it yet. Oh, okay, this week, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's Chris Barnes. I was going to guess Barnes, <laughs> maybe a safety, but yeah, yeah. I would love to know the last time a free agent has ever led the team in tackles. Now, I mean, we got a long ways to go, okay, and, and a lot can change. But, I mean, to me, that is indicative of this Packer defense, that a guy that just basically came off the street 
is their leading tackler. Well, scheme-wise, a lot is set up for that that position on, sure, on the field sure. to right to be at least among your top two or three leading tacklers. I mean, Blake Martinez over the last four years from 16 to 19 had the second most tackles in all of football, and 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 they didn't really even make a competitive offer to, to keep him in town. So, I mean, here's what I will say, though, Gary, and Sunday's game was certainly indicative of this. It shows you when a team has dynamic inside linebackers like Tampa Bay does, yes, uh, right, with White and David, mm-hmm. just those two guys flying around everywhere. Now, I like Barnes as well, and I think he's a serviceable guy, Gary, maybe a, a fringe starter, a decent backup. But you saw on Sunday – what real inside linebacker play looks like, what dominant inside linebackers look like. You know, the young kid they got out of LSU white in the first round last year who runs a four four two from that position is man, he looks like Derek Brooks. Like he could be a Hall of Famer one day, Gary. Boy, he's he's something else. And you know, Green Bay just hasn't had that kind of player for years and years. I mean, they they did get faster at that spot this year with Kirksey and and he can't stay on the field. Honestly, I I do think across the board that the defense has been just a huge disappointment. Sunday's game was was again a, another example of that. I don't even know right now as as we're talking, Gary. You know where where they rank overall in in some of these defensive statistics. My guess is they're probably right in the middle of, of the league and in yards and points and and things like that. But yeah. the mm-hmm. bottom line is that at, at some point in the postseason, every single year you're going to run into a couple of teams that can play great defense. Now, there's probably only about six teams in the league right now playing defense worth a damn. Tampa, you saw the other day. San Francisco will play good defense when they get their people back. You know, surprisingly, Kansas City's playing good defense. Pittsburgh's playing great defense. New England's still playing decent defense. I mean, but there's not many, Gary. I mean, you can count it on pretty much one hand. But if Green Bay's not in that category, Gary, and they play offense like they did the other day against Tampa Bay, their chances of going far in the playoffs just just really aren't great. They, I think they were exposed in in a few different areas the other day. And if they get to a game in the playoffs where they're gonna where they see a Tampa Bay, where they see a San Francisco, um, even Arizona's playing okay defense. You know where, where they have to just go out and absolutely outscore people, and they see a and they see a top five or eight defense, Gary. They're not gonna do it. It it it, it it's a terrible blueprint. They need to be dramatically better on defense. Uh, right now they're not, and, and, and I'm telling you, Mike Pettin's seat it should be absolutely burning right now. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I definitely have questions and, and concerns about Pettin. And, but here, here's some other numbers, Rob. The fifth leading tackler on the Packers, Ty Summers, okay? Ty Summers. Like, okay, two of your five guys are, are guys that didn't even play last year hardly, you know, Summers did Summers play much at all last year? I'm trying yeah, to play it all from scrimmage, just a special. That, that, team. That's what I thought. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I mean, he's your fifth leading tackler, and then you look at Preston Smith. He is twelfth in tackles, which to me is totally inexcusable. And then you look at you know going down the line, you got Lowry and you got Lancaster. Lowry has eight tackles, and Lancaster has six. I mean. To me, at least, there's a lot of guys underachieving on that uh, defense. Yeah, Gary, I, I think a couple other stats that are just, just huge is, you know, we're five weeks into the season and they forced three turnovers. Um, the, That's they kind of point, lived and too. Die on, yes. They've lived and died on turnovers with, with Patton. They'll, they'll bend but not break. They'll give you five yards of carry and, and say, okay, we're, we'll live with that. We'll be okay. But, 
you know, we don't think you can go on a 16 play drive and somewhere along the way, you're going to get a holding penalty or we're going to take the ball away. Well, they're not taking the ball away this year. I think they've got a pick from, from Alexander. I, I think Sullivan had the pick six in the, in the one game and, and there's a fumble somewhere in there too. I think, I don't know if it was Zadarius. Oh, the Zadarius in the saints game, maybe Gary jumps to mind. So again, they've done a horrendous job of taking the ball away. They're not getting great pressure. I mean, Brady, who's statuesque the way it is, yes, stood back exactly. there forever on Sunday, no pressure whatsoever. You hit Preston Smith, and, and that's got to be a huge concern um, on a guy they're paying an exorbitant amount of money to. Um, I think he has one sack and just a couple of pressures here now through, and it might even be a half a sack is, is all he has, Gary, through through five games. Um, he, he's been a disappointment. They're going to you know, he's been in coverage a little bit more than, than past years, but when, when they've asked him to go after quarterbacks and, and tried to turn him loose and do some of the things he did last year, for whatever reason, Gary, he, he's just not getting it done this season. And you and I have talked about it before on, on this podcast, when people say, how are they going to sign Bakhtiari? How are they going to sign Aaron Jones? Well, that's how. They're going to say goodbye to Preston Smith. They're going to say goodbye to Billy Turner. Uh, they're going to say goodbye to Adrian Amos. Who, who was absolutely dreadful on Sunday, couldn't cover Gronkowski, who I, I think, Gary, you can outrun right now. That fun might race, be a stretch, Rob. <laughs> I don't know. A fun race between you, Gronk, and Mercedes Lewis would be close. <laughs> oh, my it God. Might be, it, might, it might be fun to watch. Um, I, I, I'm I mean, sorry. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but you brought up Mercedes Lewis. Is he a starting tight end in this league? No, and, and, and they ask him to run block at certain points of the game. I mean, I, they leaked him out of the backfield there, I think, at the one point in time where he got behind where he got behind the linebackers and, and had the big seam down the middle because, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, if that's Tanya or it's Sternberger, right, the defense is going to pay far greater attention. Mm-hmm. It was almost one of those surprise type of deals. We can spring him loose because Tampa's not going to pay any attention to him. But, uh, heck, the, the guy is a sixth offensive lineman still. He, he, he can block still as well as almost any tight end in, in football. He, he's terrific in that element and that aspect of the game. But if you expect I, – I, I know the TV guys at one point uh, in Sunday's game said that that would have been a sure touchdown for Mercedes Lewis, and I kind of chuckled thinking, well, they haven't seen Mercedes Lewis yeah, run here yeah. like, I mean, in the last few years. They, yeah, he would have probably been caught by about midfield, but it was still going to be a 20- or 25-yard game. <laughs> exactly. Which, which uh, the other day for Green Bay would have been enormous. But this defense has largely been what's held the Packers back the last decade. Green Bay also hasn't performed well, and Rodgers hasn't performed well in big games, like I outlined earlier. Um, I thought they made some real strides last year on the defensive side of the ball. Lord knows they've invested enough draft capital and, and money into, into that side of the football. Both no, Smith no and Amos are on huge contracts. A year ago, they took Gary and, and Savage in, in round one. They're paying Kenny Clark an exorbitant amount of money. Dean Lowry got a contract contract extension before the 2019 season um, you know, across the board. They paid Kirksey a lot of money as a free agent this off season. They, they are spending the majority of their resources that they have available to fix that defense. And it isn't getting fixed. Now, whether you want to point the blame there on Petten or Gutekunst, I guess is, is your call, but I can tell you right now, the one who's going to be handed a pink <laughs> slip first will be Mike Petten. I would agree <laughs> with that as well. <laughs> you know, one guy, that could help the Packer defense who isn't currently on the Packer roster is, is Mr. JJ Watt in Houston. There you go. I mean, you brought this up the other day. I I think it bears uh, looking into. Well, the trading deadline Gary is November 3rd. So 
that's about two weeks from when we're recording this podcast. It might, in fact, I think it's exactly two weeks. Um, you look at Houston right now, one and five, right? Going nowhere. I know JJ is, is like a son to that owner down there. It would probably, probably kill McNair to get rid of JJ Watt, but under Bill O'Brien's watch, Houston has gotten rid of so many high draft picks over the last couple of years that they gave the Dolphins a fortune for Tunzel, the left tackle there. They might've got a little bit back in the Hopkins trade, I think with Arizona, but, but Houston right now is completely devoid of draft picks, almost like divine back in the day when, when he made the, the John Hadel trade, yeah. the John Hadel trade, and then left poor Bart Starr with nothing for a few years in the cupboard with, uh, you know, with, with draft capital, that's kind of where Houston sits right now. And they're clearly going nowhere at one and five. Um, I think it's a really interesting possibility. Green Bay desperately needs some help on that defensive line. It's been, it's been an Achilles heel for years. They, they, they need another big body guy up front who can, who can a stop the run and B get after people. I mean, JJ Watt has a hundred career sacks. He still has enough in the tank to, to go out here the next, you know, eight games, 10 games of the season and, and get after people and, and stop the run. He's a state legend, as everybody knows, Gary. He still comes home in the summers mm -hmm. and works out at times at Pewaukee High School. He's a rags to riches local story in, in, in our area. You know, a kid who turned himself from, you know, from nothing in, into a future Hall of Famer. I, I can't imagine somebody getting a warmer reception coming home than J.J. Watt. Um, if, if the Packers and, and, and Houston can make the dollars line up, and if they can make the draft compensation line up, I think it makes perfect sense for, for both sides. Here's the bottom line, Gary. The yeah. Packers have two weeks to add to this roster, and they need to add. They, they should have found that out after Sunday's loss in Tampa Bay, mm -hmm. that clearly there's still a couple pieces away of making a run deep into the NFC playoffs or at a Super Bowl. I mean, that game was over for about five minutes, and Tampa Bay made a trade for another nose tackle because a, a week and a half ago, they lost Vita Vea in the right. Bears game to a broken leg. Now they've got an okay guy that they plugged in this week, but they said, Hey, you know what? We're pretty damn good. We're going to make a run at this thing and, and let's go get that final piece. Ron Wolf always operated under that premise. Didn't he Gary in that philosophy? Oh, absolutely. No, no, no question Wolf, about it. Wolf would say, Hey, we're, we're close. Let's go get Eugene Robinson. Let's go get Keith Jackson. I mean, Keith Jackson sat out half a season and, and Wolf still didn't budge. And finally in, in, in about November of 95, Keith Jackson came back to the Packers and, and everyone remembers that he lit the 49ers up in the postseason that year as the Packers went to the, to the NFC title game. So, so Ron Wolf was always as aggressive as it got when it, when it came to trades. And I think Brian Gutekunst needs to do the same thing. This team, even, even though they got their tails whipped, I, I think on Sunday, Gary, they still have a chance here to, you know, be one of the three, four best teams in the NFC. And, and if they could add a player, I mean, you're adding a pro bowler when you add Watt. It, 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 he still is a fringe pro bowler, even at this stage of his career. And, and that could take that defense. You gave it a C plus. I'd give it a C minus or a D plus. And mm -hmm. it, it could probably take that defense up to the level of about a B. And, and then if you can get the offense back on track, now you've got a chance to get inside your own conference. Uh, okay. I, I'm going to do some, or say something really stupid. Would he be the second coming of Reggie White? I think Reggie had more left mm -hmm. when he got here, Gary. Reggie, Reggie was here, what, 93 to 98? Uh, I think he was here those six years. I don't think J.J. has six years left, you know, with, with some of the injuries and, and the surgeries he's had. If, 
if I remember right, and I'd, I'd have to go back and, and study yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Reggie was pretty injury free throughout most of his career, mm-hmm. even when he got to Green Bay. And, you know, there, there were a number of times where Reggie, Reggie was played a play in week to week, and then somehow God healed him when he was, when he was in Green Bay. And he, he'd always make it back to the field, right, Gary? But, but when he showed up to Green Bay, he was, he was a pretty healthy guy. And, and J.J.'s been beat up a little bit. I, I don't think the J.J. Watt of 2020 is the J.J. Watt, let's just say, of 2016, 17, before the injuries really started to, to take their toll and beat him up. But, but I'll tell you this, Gary, you, you could certainly make a case he'd be the second or third best player on that defense oh no question i mean now you're lining up with with clark and lowry and and jj watt up front that's a little bit different than lining up with um you know lowry and, yes. and, and kenny and Lan- clark and, and lancaster kingsley kiki or lancaster or montrevious adams or something like that so i mean for the 2020 version of the packers you could make that case i don't think it's stupid at all especially if he showed up and and had eight sacks in the last 10 weeks and and he made a run at a super bowl right oh no question about it okay put on your uh, gm's hat you're gutekunst and you're talking to the uh, texans what would you offer them it's a great question. Again, I'm going to Google JJ's age and stuff because I, he, I don't he's have 31. That he's 31. He is 31. Yeah. Okay. 30, 31. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Do you give him up first? No. You, first, they're like gold. You can't give up a first. Maybe you give up a two, maybe a three and a four. I mean, something like that. You, you go back and, and you study history. First, just don't go real often. And, in, in these kind of transaction. And especially when you're talking about a guy, you know, like what, yeah, turned 31 Gary in March. So he's 31 mm-hmm. and a half now. I mean, I would think he's got three years left at the most, but he's worth a two. I mean, if he finishes oh, career, with, without it, without it, without a doubt, it. Worth a two then if uh, you know, if, if you get him for the rest of this season and then even 2021 and 2022. Yeah. I, I, I think a two is more than fair there. Uh, on what I again I I don't know the the thing that makes Houston a tricky team to deal with right now is that Bill O'Brien was also the general manager he was the head coach and general manager so they're kind of floating at that at that position uh in inside their building and I don't know who exactly has you know the authority to go ahead and make a trade like that I'm guessing the owner's gonna have to sign off on anything that gets done right now And, and again like I said earlier J.J. Watt's almost like a son I know to McNair so it, it again that that could make it tricky, but I'll tell you what, Houston's got to rebuild and they, and they've got to start somewhere. And an and an aging defensive lineman like Watt, who again I still think he has something left, but that's where you get your draft capital back is by moving a piece like that. You know, maybe it's a couple mid round picks, maybe it's a two and a four, Gary. Um, I don't think it's a one, but I think it can be done if Green Bay is aggressive enough. Now, me and I would go go after uh, JJ Watt with everything I had. They yeah. need they need an impact player to go with Clark on the line. I, I don't like the uh, three four concept that Petten plays, and I, I think the three four can be very effective if you have really quality inside linebackers like we saw with Tampa Bay and some other teams. But let's face it, the Packers inside linebackers are below average. And then they wonder why teams are running all over them. Well, that's the reason. Anyways, moving along here, we have to uh, do our customary NFC North roundup. And uh, let's start out with the Bears. Five and one, Rob. Did you see that coming? 
I keep telling you every week they're better than people think. They're going to win. <laughs> you, you are. They're, they're going to win 10, 11 games, and they're going to do it ugly, Gary, but they're going to win 10 or 11 games. And actually at 5-1, and one, you could – you know, I, I know the schedule for them gets a little bit harder now. They, they've got the Rams this week on the road, and they, I think two of their next three games are really tough. But if, if you look at the last month of their schedule, it, it, it's Cupcake City. So if, if Is it really? Around, even, oh. Yeah, even at like eight and four or something like that, you know, they could put together a late winning streak. Uh, again, that that's the major difference, Gary, between – between the Packers and the Bears is, is Chicago. And I didn't mention them earlier and, and shame on me, but they, they play defense as well as almost anybody in football. They're, they're a top mm-hmm. five to eight defense right now. Agreed. Um, week in and week out, they're going to have these, these kind of games, 20 to 19, 23, 16. They're, they're going to be these ugly wins that the Bears keep producing. But the bottom line again, is they're going to win. And, and they found their guy in Foles who's just not going to screw it up. He's going to be a game manager. He's going to be a distributor. And they're going to try to win the game with with defense. And even though that running back is remarkably average, they'll give him the ball 20 times and and try to play, you know, keep away and and, and milk the clock. Gary, I'm telling you, they're, they're a real threat all of a sudden inside that division. And because anytime you can play defense in this league, you have a chance. Like I said, 25 of the teams aren't doing it. They're, they're not playing defense worth worth a lick. Chicago is, and it's going to keep them in games, and it's going to keep them in this NFC North race, I think, right till the end. Well, I'll tell you what, you make some very, very valid points, but I'll tell you what, I I think they have played a lot of dogs. Now, granted, they beat Tampa Bay, okay? So you got to, you know, give them credit for that. But they beat Detroit, they beat the Giants, they beat, who was it? Another bad team. Atlanta and a big comeback. it, it, It was Atlanta, yes. In all three of those games, Rob, they won by four points. I, I think their off our defense is exceptional, or at least very good, but their offense is horrible. I mean, again, Gary, no one asks you how much at the you know how much you won the game by when it's over, right? All they do is that, put one that in is the true, game. exactly. And, you care about the W. Gary, Gary, do you know the record of the four teams Green Bay has beaten co- combined? <laughs> e- equally as bad, I suppose, huh? Seven and fifteen. So the oh, Packers oh, read that by again. What was it? Seven and fifteen. Wow, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, so Atlanta has one win, Minnesota has one win, Detroit has two, the Saints have three. They're, they haven't exactly beat up on a murderer's row. And, and to me, when they saw their first legitimate contender in the NFC last week, they got punched in the mouth multiple times and never once threw a punch back. So, you know, that, there's a lot of questions right now, too, with, with Green Bay. I, that's why I think these Packer-Bear games, they, they play twice late in the year. They're not going to be pretty. They're probably going to be these 20 to 19, 23 to 16 kind of games that the Bears have been winning. And you're going to get a couple of those. But, Gary, I think right to the end, Chicago's going to be there. Sure. You know, another surprise team in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) I'm telling you, I said this at the beginning of the year that they were going to be in trouble. I think I might have mentioned that a friend of mine covers the Vikings for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, Chris Thomason. When they lost all those DBs and a couple other guys on defense, uh, I thought they were going to be in a world of hurt. And here we are, six games into the season. They're one in five. I, I think it ties the worst start in franchise history. Um, do you see them turning it around? You know what? I, I do see them playing dramatically better, let's say, in the second half of the season than they did in the first. 
Now that might mean going four and four in the second half instead of two and six or whatever they're going to be when they get through week eight. I mean, they're probably a five, six win team here in 2020. Um, but again, Gary, and, and we agreed when, when we did our first podcast of the year, I think leading into that Minnesota game, we talked about that at length. You, you can't mm-hmm. replace, you know, six starters on the defensive side of the ball and as good as Mike Zimmer is still expect to come out and, and play top five or top 10 defense in the league. And, and they haven't been able to, they lost the two corners. They lost the nickelback. They lost both defensive ends. They lost a nose. I mean, that, that they've been, they've been picked apart on that side of the ball, but, but again, I, all, all those guys were on the wrong side of 30 for the most part. And yes. Zimmer and the people in the front office had come to the decision. All right. The, we've gone about as far as we can with, with this Everson Griffin, uh, Xavier Rhodes group. Let's move on from it. Let's replace with young guys. I do think a year from now, they're, they're going to be a legitimate force again. But every time you, you kind of reload and rebuild and, and, and turn over that many spots, there's going to be a year where you have this many hiccups. And, and that's what they're in the middle of. And that's why, Gary, I honestly thought it was comical when Vegas picked uh, Minnesota to win the division and gave them yes. the best odds and Green yeah, exactly. Bay second, and then the Bears, then the Lions. And, and I said at the time, Minnesota is not going to win this division. You, you cannot turn over. And don't forget, they traded their, you know, their, their best wide receiver. Now Jefferson, the kid they, they took in round one, is, is an emerging superstar, and, and, and he's going to go to several Pro Bowls, I think, before it's all said and done for him. The young wide receiver they took out of LSU. But, but they're clearly in the middle of a rebuild. But to your initial question, Gary, yes, I, I, I don't see them turning it around, but I see them playing much better football the second half of the season. And, you know, whatever. That probably gets you to 6-10, and 10 and you have the 12th pick in the draft. Uh, I mean, think of it. They got 10 games left, right? If they go 9-1, and one, that gives them 10 wins for the year. They're not going to get into the playoffs with 10. 10 will get you in this year because they're 17. You think, you think so, even then? Yeah, yeah well, and, and then you have to remember, Gary – but that's nine and one. I mean, the odds right. of that happening are pretty. Well, slim. first of all, they're never going to go nine and one with that yeah, defense. Right. Cousins throwing interceptions like he's throwing interceptions. But let's just say, in theory, if they did find a way to get to to get to ten and six, uh, the NFC East gets one in only, and they shouldn't get any, but they'll get one. If they get to ten and six, they probably pass the Bears along the way. I don't think more than two teams in the NFC South get to ten and six. Now the NFC West is loaded. You're right, Gary. That that could be four teams that end up in that nine and seven to twelve and four range when you start talking about Seattle, the Rams, Arizona, and San Francisco. Um, so you know, ten and six probably puts you on the bubble. But 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 just remember, this is a year where there's an extra playoff team. Right. Exactly. The bottom line is though, Minnesota's not going nine and one. They'll, they'll they'd probably take five and five at this juncture. Okay, let's uh, wrap up this podcast by talking about your favorite quarterback. My Lions, Gary. <laughs> your, your, your Lions. I'll tell you what. I like DeAndre Swift uh, going into the draft. He is starting to emerge. I, I think that might be one of the better picks uh, in the NFL this season. Uh, he, I think, rushed for 116 yards last week and had a couple touchdowns. He had a couple catches. And to me, this is the type of back that your guy, Mr. Stafford, has always needed. I'll tell you what, you look at them on the off, offensive side of the football and, and they're as good as anybody in the division, right? Now, now Rodgers is clearly better than Stafford, but now you start looking, looking at their wide receivers, right? Wait, With, did you actually say that? I did actually say that. <laughs> I, 
I'll, I'll, I'll drink my lion's Kool-Aid from time to time, Gary. There, there, there you go. But, and, and it's mostly Matt Stafford Kool-Aid. I, I yes, just, yes. I do know that. I've always loved his toughness. Yes. But he, he's got two wide receivers that are every bit as good, if not better, than what Green Bay puts out there with, mm-hmm. with Adams and Lazard. The tight end is better than what Green Bay has. They took Hawkinson high in the draft, eighth or tenth. I, I think is where he went. You're exactly right on Swift. If he emerges, I mean, the Packers are still better in the backfield than the Lions, but Swift is an emerging young player. They're dangerous on the, on that side of the ball. What, what's always prevented Detroit, Gary, if you go back and look at the last, you know, 10, 12, 14 years, they're in the bottom five every year in pass defense. There, there mm-hmm. were some of those Matt Millen years where they were, not only were they like 32nd in stopping the pass, but they were, you know, 50 yards worse than number 31. I mean, they're, they, they've been dreadful trying to, trying to stop the pass. And, and they overhauled that a little bit in the back this year, moving on from Dre Bly and, and taking the young corner from Ohio State to who they think is going to be a stud. You know, Detroit's just, Detroit's just one of those teams, Gary, that uh, they're going to probably end up in that 7-9 and nine range. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're going to cause some fits from time to time. Uh, Sunday was certainly one of those games where, where they went out and, and, and put together a really nice top-to-bottom performance and got themselves to 2-3. and three. I, I think they're going to, you know, last year, Gary, even before Stafford was hurt, they, they yeah. were they were very competitive. They were three four. They, they and one certainly were. Yes, absolutely. They were three four and one when he was quarterback, and they went zero and eight after he got hurt, which is why they ended up third in the draft. They were three twelve and one overall. They're a five hundred team when he's on the field, maybe slightly worse. And with one or two more good drafts, they could get it turned around. The tricky thing there is, you know, let, let's just say they slide down the stretch and go six and ten, five and eleven. They're going to repeat that same pattern they, that they continue on. Um, you know, for the last generation where every three years they, they turn over the coach, they turn over the GM and <laughs> at least they're and, consistent, um, they, you know, try to start from scratch. Um, <laughs> yeah. if, if they build, if, sorry, if, if they keep building with this group, um, they, they could be a wild card team a year from now, but you know, for mm-hmm. 2020, uh, I, I do think they're an improving group. I'm with you on Swift. Um, he's bounced back nice from that drop in week one that would have won the Bears game. Yes. And um, he, he's a talented young kid. That They're still going to cause Green Bay some troubles, I promise you, Gary, when that game's in Detroit later on this season. Rob, always a pleasure, and uh, thanks again for another uh, stellar performance. My tip to you is to stay off Twitter for about a week or so, and, and you'll be fine. Maybe even longer, Gary. That you know that that should be the goal for most of society. We we functioned absolutely fine before this Twitter Facebook world. So um, well, look at it this way, Rob. There's a lot of vitriol out there. Oh, absolutely. If you don't get that kind of reaction, you know you're not doing your job, right? So, anyways, hey, uh, well, and I guess I'm doing my job, Gary, because and you're doing it. Got some reaction, and and you're doing it very well. So hang in there, and thank you, uh, Rob, and. Thank you to all our listeners and have a good week. Take care. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Wuffle and Wuffle's Press Box.com. <laughs>